Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The murder-suicide involving a prominent Cache Valley couple has shocked the community and highlighted issues of suicide, depression, mental illness, and other issues among the elderly. We're going to talk about these issues on Access Utah today. I'm joined in studio by Pat Sadowski, who is with uh, Cache Valley Senior Consulting. Welcome to the program. Thank you. And uh, on the telephone, uh, Amy Anderson with Sunshine Terrace Foundation. Amy Anderson, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tom. Good to be here. We will also be hearing through the hour some recorded comments from our commentator, Thad Box. Uh, People who uh, subscribe to the Herald Journal, Logan Herald Journal, may have read his uh, column. He's excerpted and developed some of those uh, comments for us, and we appreciate him uh, doing that. Um, We're going to talk about uh, issues involving the uh, elderly, and uh, I think uh, if some good can come out of this tragedy, it's it's, it's, uh, uh, a spotlight has been shown on on some of these issues. Let me start with Pat Sadowski. Um, so we're talking about Mary Polly and, and Del Johnson, prominent uh, people in the community, uh, did a lot of good, involved in a lot of uh, boards and, and causes. Uh, tell me a little bit about about this couple, Pat Stosky. Uh They were a well-educated, um, wonderful couple who, who were really a tremendous part of this community. Very, very generous people, um, very giving. I never really knew them when they were employed they've always been retired as far as i could tell and and yet um lots of energy lots of uh interest in taking care of other people and uh mary had so much experience in the legal field that she was willing to generously offer um at no charge for most people but um the breadth of their influence um really was far and wide and and that was evident in the the service they had for Mary the other day. Um, Just well-known, well-loved, and extremely generous, and also very wise. Um, There were a number of comments about um, the value of a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Amy Anderson, what uh, what was your uh, interaction with with Mary Pally and Del Johnson? Actually, I was not fortunate enough to meet either of them. Mm -hmm. I've heard many wonderful things about both individuals, though, from from common acquaintances, and you can see the legacy that um, Dell left by the rows of people lining up to participate in caucuses. I know he was really actively involved in the Democrat Party here in Cache Valley, and Mary with the work she did with CAPSA. So I, I feel um, sad that I didn't get a chance to know the two of them. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the reason why it shocked the community so much. This is, um, I mean, it, you know, any murder-suicide would which shocked the community, but it was especially a, a couple so prominent and, and so involved and, and doing so much good. Uh, and a lot of it's speculation. We, we, you know, we can't really get into Dell's mind, but uh, apparently there was a, a bit of deterioration there. He, he did leave some writings, a letter to the New York Times, a letter to the Herald Journal, uh, various things that he, uh, that, that he distributed. But even there, you know, you might uh, you might think eccentric, but uh, you know, I think a lot of people are, are trying to look at the signs and what what could we have done to, to prevent this. We'll talk about this as we as we go on. But apparently, what happened? Adele decided uh, to commit suicide. Decided to take his wife uh, uh, as as he did that. Uh, let's let's hear uh, this first piece from uh, from Thad Box. Thad is he wrote a piece in the Herald Journal. He's trying to come to terms with this, as, as I think uh, all of us are. Let's hear this. I don't understand why some people choose to kill themselves, but our suicide rate is among the highest in the nation. We don't know what demons lead people to take their own lives. Each suicide affects us all, and we react differently with each friend that we lose. Decades ago, one of my mentors and beloved friend killed himself. My first reaction was anger. How dare he do that? He had to finish a book, research projects to unravel the secrets of nature, and a profession to build. Another of our promising professors shot himself. Blood and brains plastered on the ceiling will never leave my memory. And a colleague's wife took an overdose of medication and died suffering. Each time I was filled with sadness and guilt. Each of their deaths killed something in me. 
For 20 years, I knew Mary Pally and Dale Johnson, people in this recent event called a murder-suicide. Each of these people did much public good here in the Valley. I served on lots of civic boards with Mary, and Dell and I worked on numerous committees. We often disagreed, but we laughed and argued, and we got things done. You could count on either of these people to help others in need. Cache Valley is a better place because they lived here. Each was of an age where the brain plays tricks on the person. Both had medical problems. I can imagine either of them willing to end a partner's suffering, but I cannot defend a killing that leaves deep scars on the people who love them. That's uh, Thad Box. We'll hear another couple of his uh, comments as we uh, go along. And I think, uh, Pat Sadowski, Thad, Thad speaks for for a lot of us. We, we're trying to make sense of this. He does. Um, Thad, Thad's having a real hard time with this, and he, he agreed to... Um, tape those because he's feeling very emotional and I talk, I've talked to him several times about it and and I think um, we're all regretting that we didn't do more and wondered what we could have done but, but we didn't have the foresight to see um, ahead that this was going to be an issue. But I think one of the things Thad talks about in, in that article in the newspaper was how difficult it is to, to age. Um, we're in a culture that focuses so much on youth and so much on beauty and so much on the young generation. And, you know, a hundred years ago, we died at age 60. Um, now we're, we're living 30 years beyond that age, um, many of us. And we, are, we don't have systems to cope with that. Um, we're spending a good deal of time in that retirement phase without a purpose. And I think when people retire, if they haven't made really good plans, um, they feel a bit of a loss. I mean, you lose your status, you lose your label, <laughs> your title, um, and and you lose a lot of those connections as well. And I think we forget how difficult that might be until we experience it. And I think that's one area we need to um, address um, in our culture. And the other one is that we need to be brave enough to ask questions and and um, seek answers if we're concerned, and, and we need to um, encourage our medical community to do the same thing. Um, Amy and I have talked about this quite a bit, and, and uh, we're both at a loss for how we can, uh, how we can help change this problem. Um, many, many of the seniors that decide to commit suicide have seen their doctor within recent weeks. Hmm. And and yet it's not anything that's picked up on. Um, and the suicide rate for men rivals that of teenagers. In fact, it's even higher um, in the over 85 group. So we really need to, as a culture, address how can we change this? What things can we look at? What are the cues we should we should find out? And Amy has some ideas for that that we should um, uh, let her talk about. Amy, uh, yeah, uh, ideas. Uh, I guess first of all is, is get the word out. I, I'm learning some things here. That's that's shocking. And I think Kat's correct. You know that when you look at research on causes for suicide in, in older adults, that loss of status and authority, that um, giving your life meaning, can really lead to depression and undiagnosed mental health issues. And, you know, it is easy to want to try to answer the question why um, after a suicide death, um, but those answers aren't simple. Um, when someone has a mental disorder, it makes thinking difficult for them themselves. And so for us, standing outside of that, it's even more difficult to understand why. So I think we are correct to focus on what can we do to prevent this for somebody else. And there are, there are groups in Cache Valley that are actively working on helping support um, seniors as well as anyone struggling with mental illness. And um, one of those organizations is the Bear River Mental Health Department, and they've put together a suicide coalition task force that is actively working on trying to identify what are risk factors in our community, what are things that we can do um, together 
And one of the programs that they've implemented is free classes um, for QPR, which stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer. And it's a three-step process for individuals to help learn how you can save someone from suicide. You know, we've got many, many people out there in the community trained in CPR and in the Heimlich Maneuver so that they can help save lives. And this is really a similar strategy. It's a gatekeeper course um, for individuals to learn how to identify people who might be at risk for suicide. And this could be young people, old people, you know, but as Pat mentioned, it's particularly um, older men that are at the highest risk in our community right now. Um, and uh, let me give this, I uh, wonder if this is a good resource statewide, Utah Suicide Prevention Coalition, since we have listeners statewide, is that a, a good resource? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that, that's who Bear River um, is working with. And okay. I think, you know, within within the Logan community, people can just simply call them um, and set up a, a training for themselves or a small group. Um, so be it a book club or a relief society or a group of coworkers, anybody can become a gatekeeper in this. And really the idea is, you know, first you learn how to question their desire or their intent, then you learn skills to persuade them to seek help, and then you refer them to the appropriate resources. So I think we all recognize that really someone who's a trained professional is the best person to provide the actual counseling, but we can all become better skilled at identifying what things might put somebody at risk and then point them to the resources that can help them. And uh, again, that's utahsuicideprevention.org for, for that one. Uh, Pat Sadowski, what, what would you say further? If you're a, well, let's, let's turn to uh, the medical profession. Um, and, and you were telling me off air that, uh, you know, doc, we know this. Doctors a lot of times want to move you through quickly. Um, and so sometimes the, the signs aren't picked up on it. It could be as simple as building trust and asking someone. Exactly. Um, you know, I think working with seniors, you have to build up that relationship. And and they're not going to tell you much of anything in 10 minutes. But they um, they want to know that you care. And they want time to do that. And I think... Um, we're not going to change the medical community overnight in their in their um, rushed visit in the office, but but we can think of other ways to do it, and um, we can maybe train other people in the office to spend a few minutes and talk with a senior and do a quick quick review. It only takes a few minutes to ask a few questions um, and do an assessment, and then if and if if they need a referral beyond that. Um, help them find resources. Seniors are really resistant to mental health issues. Um, they Most of them grew up in a generation where it was a terrible stigma. And I still hear those comments. You know, just yesterday I went for a walk in, in the neighborhood and <clears throat> and one of the people made a comment and I, and I thought, you know, that really minimizes what happened here when you say, oh, it was just a crazy person that did something, you know. And it doesn't matter what the something was. It really um, takes away that possibility of, of treatment down the road. Um, but we also have a problem with payment. Um, these seniors are on Medicare and not able to go to all the available services in the Valley. Um, I was just recently made aware of the fact that they can't go to a licensed marriage and family counselor who might be a more safe person for them to uh, seek services with. Um, And they're not allowed to bill Medicare. So we need a lot of policy changes to help that population. Mm. Amy Anderson, we'll go to break here soon, but um, I wonder if we just pull back here briefly and just talk about aging. And, and uh, Pat Sadowski made reference to the fact that it's a youth culture. You turn on media and it's a celebration of youth. At the same time, as, as my mother said, aging's not for sissies. And I think, uh, Pat Sadowski, you've, you've heard comments. <laughs> and my father, before he passed, said the same thing. And we maybe sometimes don't focus on that. And the fact that the elderly need some help, emotional, you know, social, broad range. Well, and I think, you know, um, we do tend to believe that when you age, depression is a normal part of the aging process. And it's really not. I mean, older individuals certainly have so much still to give and so much still to offer. Um, 
our communities. Um, and in fact, when you look at some of the statistics related to the elderly and depression, they actually have a lot of protective factors already built in. Um, they're less likely to overreact to stressors in their life. They, they have a focus on emotionally meaningful experiences. So just because you're old doesn't mean that you don't have the ability to cope with stressors. But as Pat said wisely, age isn't necessarily valued in our culture as much as it should be. And when you have that diminished sense of meaning and loss, I think we as a society need to do more to support the elderly. Um, and that, that's a big, big project, though, um, for all of us to, to try to honor those in our community who have served and have helped us all. Uh, yeah, the, it, it's certainly true. We'll, we'll continue this discussion um, following a break. Um, the murder-suicide of a provident to Cache Valley couple has prompted um, a discussion, and we're all trying to come to terms with this, and we're talking about issues among the elderly suicide, depression, mental illness. We would love you to join the conversation. Perhaps uh, you're working with your parents. Or perhaps you are among the elderly. Uh, maybe you have an experience. We'd love to hear from you. 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. Or upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. More following the break. This is Management Minute by Professor Scott Hammond. Westfield, Massachusetts is known as Whip City, because 120 years ago, 40 companies made buggy whips, tools, and carriage parts. Today, only Westfield whip manufacturing remains. Harvard Business School professor Theodore Levitt gave sound advice to businesses facing change. Back in 1960, he said businesses should concentrate on their customers' needs, not on specific products. If buggy whip makers had thought of their businesses as transportation accessories, They might have survived into the automobile era. There were 13,000 businesses in wagon and carriage parts in 1890. Today, less than 1% of those businesses still exist. But that 1% exists because they listen to their customers. The Management Minute is brought to you by our members and the USU Shingo MBA program at the John M. Huntsman School of Business a 15-month graduate degree for executives giving knowledge and skills to leverage the principles and tools of lean, continuous improvement. Huntsman.usu.edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, The murder-suicide involving a prominent Cache Valley couple. Uh, Those in Cache Valley well aware of this. Maybe statewide didn't get as much press, but a prominent couple... Um, uh, involved in that murder or suicide that's shocked our community and highlighted issues of suicide, depression, mental illness, other issues among the elderly. We're talking about these issues with Pat Sadowski, who's with Cash Valley Senior Consulting, and Amy Anderson with the Sunshine Terrace Foundation. We're also hearing some recorded comments from our commentator, Thad Box. And uh, you're welcome to join the conversation. Hope that you will as we uh, try to come to terms with this as a community. 1-800-826-1495, toll-free, anywhere you're listening. And our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. Let me jump in with an email from uh, our friend Gene Laun uh, from, uh, from USU. Gene uh, says, it's uh, critical to address the problem of too many guns, too easy access to guns. Marion Dell's story could have been my parents' story because I grew up in a household without guns. When my father got violent with my mother, he ended up in a psychiatric ward of the local hospital for a short stay rather than on the front page of the newspaper. Gun proliferation is a big part of the uh, suicide problem. And actually, Tom, that, that's a really good point because the means matter in suicide attempts. And when, when people have access lethal um, options, it does certainly increase the likelihood of a successful suicide. Now, I think firearms access can be politically charged, but it's certainly something that people need to ask that question. If they think someone is um, extremely depressed or suicidal, they do need to ask about access to to lethal means. And um, we certainly need to, to be unafraid to address that with our with our loved ones or our neighbors or our parents to ask them if they have a gun and to work at methods to secure that. Pat, Pat, Pat Sadowski, what do you think? 
Oh, I agree with Amy completely. Um, you know, I think we've both had uh, hospice families that we worked with that um, the person with the with the illness, the terminal illness, is uh, contemplating that and talking about that. And we've talked with the family. Are there are there weapons in this home? Let's get them out of here. Um, you know, we want we want to be proactive and and make sure that we ask that question and. Um, you know, I'm not sure that would have helped in this current situation, but but we have to not be afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that Amy reminded me of the other day was um, we need to ask things like, do you have a plan? Are you thinking about this? And be very direct. Uh, and uh, you were talking to me off air, uh, Pat Sadowski, and I don't know if this differs from other demographic slices, but the elderly tend to have a, a plan, right? They tend to be they do. planning and, it for, and for a they, while. They plan somewhere I was reading it's um, often weeks in the planning and um, and well-intentioned I mean they really plan to carry it out and be successful hmm. let's bring in this uh, another email this is from Nick he said my uncle committed suicide back in 2012 KSL actually broke the story he says and I read it before my mom called me to tell me it was him I admit I wasn't close to him but still he was my uncle it was pretty heart-wrenching uh, sorry for your loss there, uh, Nick. Um, so, Pat Sadowski, th- this, I guess, highlights, uh, uh, I, I, I guess, it leads to a question. Mm-hmm. What what should we do in the aftermath, and, you know, especially if you're close? And, and we're, that's what we're trying to do here as a community, right? What After the death. Right, after the death, about. yeah. Um, Amy's much more familiar with and involved with the bereavement services. Uh, and I, I think there are groups that specialize in, in traumatic uh, bereavement is that true, Amy? That is true. Um, there are uh, it, it, again with a resource for us in Cache Valley. Um, the Bear River Health Department does have a mental health guide that includes all of the different support services that are available. Um, I know at Sunshine Sheriff's Foundation we offer a grief group every Monday evening um, from three thirty to four thirty, and anyone with a loss, regardless of their age, is welcome to come to that. So it's a group setting where people can learn skills to cope with the loss and to, to move forward and thrive, um, continuing their lives. Um, Intermountain also offers one once a month. There's also a suicide survivors group that meets, um, I believe, at Bear River Mental Health um, as well. So I would encourage people to reach out and find those support organizations that are in place. You know, losing a loved one is never easy, and when it's a traumatic loss like that, it can be even more complicated. I would never say that one death is, is better or worse than another, but often when something is traumatic or violent, we do have different reactions. And there's certainly those support groups in place. And for people who need more, they can also turn to, first and foremost, their primary physician to ask where they can go for help. Um, and then there's other psychologists and clinicians in the Valley, and I'm sure throughout the state that can help people cope with that loss. Let's hear another um, of these recorded comments from Thad Box, uh, the number two here. Suicide leaves emotional scars on those who survive them. That need not be the case. Oregon is a right-to-die state where physicians can issue prescriptions of lethal drugs. Some of my Oregon friends made their passing a celebration. Each friend had an incurable and painful disease and each chose his time to go and had an informal gathering for close friends and family. When the host got tired, he simply took his medication and retired to die. The Utah legislature recently defeated a right-to-die law that would have allowed Utah physicians to issue lethal drugs to terminally ill patients. They also killed a medical marijuana law that would ease pain in all patients. Anyone in pain could have benefited from the marijuana law. Only terminally ill people would have gotten the lethal drugs. I hope these bills are reconsidered in this next session. We need them here in Utah. So that's that box. Um, let me start with Amy Anderson on this one. First of all, right to die. What do you what do you think? Would that help? You know, it's a very complicated discussion, I think, to have on the right to die issue. You know, as a, as a hospice worker, I've come to understand that 
you know, dying is really just an, an extension and a part of life, and we each have the right to look at how we want to face that um, individually. I know right now the, the laws in Utah do not allow for that, um, and there's been great press about individuals who have traveled to other states um, in order to be able to accomplish an assisted suicide. Um, I think it's definitely something that our community needs to discuss and address. I think it's something we need to always, though, take into consideration each individual's personal belief structure, too. I know there's many organizations and groups that believe no matter what, it's not all right to take your life. And, you know, I know many physicians have really strong feelings about assisted suicide, so it's definitely a conversation that we should have as a community. And I'm happy that it was introduced into our legislature because it's important that people talk about approaches to death and how we deal with death as a community um, and as a as a nation. Pat Sadowski, what, uh, what are your views on this idea for right today? I agree with Amy um, on much of this, and it is kind of a a personal uh, opinion and, and decision about that. Um, in, in the cases that Thad was talking about, those people did have terminal illness. I think it gets very complicated when you're talking about mental illness and when you're talking about dementia. And with mental illness, it's curable, it's treatable, it's something we can take care of. Um, and, and so we shouldn't, in fact, the Oregon law said the people that made that decision many, many years ago when they first uh, decided on having that available, um, they said people could not be mentally ill. They had to be assured that they knew what they were intending to do. And so I think that separates that out. Um, surely that shouldn't be part of that law. The law is meant for people that have six months or less to live. Um, usually a, a cancer or a heart disease that um, they can't survive. Um, then we come into the other problem of, of um, treating people with dementia. Um, certainly dementia is terminal, but not within six months or less. And lots of people don't want to have dementia. None of us want to have dementia, but... But that isn't an option for us to um, to take our lives. And so I think we need to figure out ways to care for the caregivers and care for the people with the illnesses and treat as much as we can um, and, and have resources available. I want to uh, make a transition to mental illness. Um, but before we, before we do that, um, Amy Anderson, I, I wondered, uh, I think I'll, probably all of the time when you have a suicide, um, those close and maybe those far away wonder, were there signs that we could have picked up on? I wonder if you could revisit that issue. Are, are there signs that the people could look for? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, there's definitely early recognition signs that um, you can look at, you know, thoughts, images. Um, I think when when you're trying to help a friend, first of all, it's just ask directly if they're thinking about suicide. I think there's a unfounded myth that if you talk about it, it's going to make somebody more likely to commit suicide. And you know, there's definitely research that shows that that is not true. So asking about it won't make somebody think about it. So I hope if anything people walk away with today, it's, it's knowing that, that it's okay to ask. Um, we need to be willing to listen, to hear their feelings, their thoughts. Um, we need to be available. We need to not act shocked if someone identifies to us that they're considering suicide. Um, if someone asks you to keep it a secret, you shouldn't be sworn to secrecy. You need to help and find support. Um, you need to encourage them to, to go to a crisis counselor. Or as you, as you mentioned, there's you know a 24-hour lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK. Um, that's a crisis center with the Lifeline Network that people can, can get help. Some of the other symptoms would be withdrawal from normal activities. If someone's really social, um, self-isolating themselves can be something that, that you worry about. Um, giving away their possessions is another thing that can be an indicator that someone is contemplating suicide. Um, you know, labeling or giving things away or divesting themselves of things 
Um, in young people, engaging in risky behavior can be one thing that's not as common in the older population, but people engaging in risk-taking behaviors, which can be physically risk-taking, it can be um, turning to alcohol and drugs. So there's definitely warning signs, but I think first and foremost, if someone is concerned, they need to ask. Uh, Pat Sadowski, what would you say? And let me preface this by saying I, I'm learning some things. Uh, you know, uh, the demographics that Thad Box is talking about, uh, young people, veterans, um, I, I think those have been more publicized. Those are in my mind when I think about suicide, but I have not thought about prevalent suicide among the elderly. Well, the data is um, shocking, <laughs> I think. Um, men account for 84% of suicide deaths among older adults. Um, if if w- older women are contemplating suicide, they would never choose the method that men would choose. Mm-hmm. Um, women are much more likely to, to take drugs. Mm-hmm. But I think part of what we're not talking about is, is the fact that men won't go for help. Men won't tell people. Men, men won't take that step. And, um, and we don't we don't push for it. Um, men aren't as likely as women to talk about their issues, talk about their problems, to have pals they confide in. Um, and I think from, for that very reason, we need to address that more with, with that elderly male caregiver. Mm-hmm. I think, too, it's yes, Amy. we recognize for, for clinicians the fact that you know, many older people also have physical illnesses, they have medications that can be contributing to some um, depressive symptoms. It's not an easy diagnosis to make necessarily, but again, it's important um, that physicians screen. I think you'll also find in older adults, they're already taking a plethora of medications for, for many conditions. And the idea of taking one more pill is often too much for them. And medication is frequently what's... Um, recommended. And many primary care physicians will offer medication over counseling. And it seems to be that in in the older adult population, counseling should really be one of the first things that's explored. Let's take another break. When we come back, our last segment on this, we'd, and we'd love to hear from you. We're talking with Amy Anderson from Sunshine Terrace Foundation and Pat Sadowski from uh, Cash Valley Senior Consulting. Um, and we're hearing some comments from Thad Box as well. We would love to hear your perspective on this. Uh, a recent tragedy in Cache Valley has prompted this discussion, um, and uh, we're talking about issues of depression, mental illness, suicide among the elderly. 1-800-826-1495 is the toll-free number, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com is our email, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following the break. By Jupiter, you shouldn't plant Jupiter's beard. On today's Zesty Garden, we have a Wait, Wait, Don't Plant That segment from Jerry Goodspeed. In Bug Bites, Diane Alston discusses a new control method, sans chemicals, for the Mexican bean beetle. And you can learn how to have a vegetable garden in all the small places, even balcony railings and windowsills, with author Kate Copsey. All on today's Zesty Garden, heard Thursday mornings at 10 from Utah Public Radio. I'm Robin Young. We'll take a look at the history of political spin and ask, does 2016 have spin meisters tearing up their playbooks? Yes. I mean, this is something that I think Trump understands very well. The scripted speech, the focus group tested talking points, we lose patience with it, even sometimes when it is our own side. Next time, here and now. Join us this morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment. Uh, the topic today is a very serious one, uh, and, uh, and I'm glad we're gathered to talk about this today. Unfortunately, it's it's a recent tragedy in Cache Valley that's uh, that's got us here, but uh, but we are talking about it. Murder-suicide of a prominent Cache Valley couple has shocked the community, highlighted the issues of suicide, depression, mental illness, other issues among the elderly. And we're talking with Amy Anderson with Sunshine Terrace Foundation and with Pat Sadowski with Cache Valley Senior Consulting.
listening. We're also hearing some recorded comments from commentator Thad Box. We hope to hear from you as well. The toll-free number is 1-800-826-1495, and our email is upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, Pat Sadowski, um, off-air, I, I ask you, is there something you especially want to have us get on during this last segment? And you said... I said um, seniors are quite adaptable. They've spent a lifetime um, having losses and changes and and uh, and adapting and coping, and so they're they actually have more resources at hand than some of us younger folks, and they are quite treatable. We just have to be better at identifying the need. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, and I'm not sure this is the perfect time, but. Seniors are a fabulous resource that we don't tap into. They have years of experience in their particular fields. They have artistic talent we might not be aware of. Why do we not, as a culture, um, why do we not bring them back? You know, once they retire, they're, they're kind of off and gone. And, and why do we not have them tutoring our children, um, teaching classes, uh, helping out in schools, um, being mentors to our our teens. It's a valuable resource that um, some of the data says we would be well advantaged to to go after. Hmm. Amy, I want to have you react to those two points, beginning with the last one, perhaps. Uh, How can we involve our seniors more? It's a great resource. We, do, we don't tap as much. Absolutely. I think, you know, you, you, you bring up a really tough topic, Pat, because I think we, we struggle often with, with the older population. I think many young people are not sure how to approach older adults in conversation or, or talking, especially as their physical abilities become less and they become more isolated because of that. It takes more of an effort on, on our part to reach out to them. And um, I think in some ways, Cash Valley is fortunate. We do really honor um, our elderly and our ancestors, um, but there's certainly things that we can always do better at. One of the, the programs I love at Sunshine Terrace, actually, is we have an adopt-a-grandparent program and we have many USU students that come into our facility to come and create that bond and bring, um, allow them to express their wisdom and their creativity to them. And we can certainly use more programs that, like that throughout our community, not just within our location itself. How do people get connected up to that? Just to contact Sunshine Terrace? Yeah, they just call Sunshine Terrace. Our, our recreation therapy department um, will screen them and pair them up with somebody to, to adopt and you know, again, I think learning how to, to talk to older adults is something that's a skill set that we need to communicate to, to young adults and even to, to middle-aged adults. Um, being willing to listen is not necessarily a skill set that we all have. We're all so busy with our lives. We all have our own agendas, and sometimes we all just need to sit back and listen and allow somebody to share what was important to them and to learn to develop that interest in others. We uh, have a caller next up is Penny in Ogden. Penny, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Yes, I've been involved with the elderly since I was 18, and I trained worked in a nursing home. What I see happening is the constant decline of the value of an elderly person. Uh, Commercials don't look old. what I see happening that people go into nursing homes, the way they're treated, the way they're evicted for having a disability, just the, the social uh, ex, except, expecting that it's okay to devalue an elderly person. When I try to advocate for the elderly, I get a lot of pushback. So I see this as a constant decline of the value of an elderly person. Well, thank you for that, uh, Penny. That's, that's, that's great to highlight that. Uh, we'll have our guest comment on that. Thanks for your call. Okay. Appreciate bye. that. Uh, Pat Sadowski first. What do you What do you think? Oh, I, I totally agree, Penny. Um, it's a hard It's a hard one to to turn around. Um, 
and I think it takes effort, and, and we're not very good at it. We're not very good at stepping back, taking time, and, and listening. Um, keep doing your good work, and, and I think uh, we need to dream up new ways to engage. I'm involved in um, a hospice volunteer program, and the seniors that I have involved are the best volunteers I could ask for. They're consistent, they're dependable, they love what they're doing. And we just have to have more opportunities available and go out, go seek them as well. Uh, Amy Anderson, your comment on what Penny said. I think that she's, she's spot on. You know, it is, a, there's a cultural stigma to being old. And she's right, on commercials, everything is geared towards, towards the young and you know, especially in this day and age, too, with our with our veterans, our aging veterans, the contributions that they've made to our society and the lessons that they can teach us are invaluable. And the more we can do as a, as communities to engage and get to know them and hear their wisdom, you know, as Pat said, they've got stories that they can tell about how they overcame adversity that we can all learn from. Here's an email from Michelle who says, Thank you for this show and for the panel contributors. Due to the death of a close friend of mine, I did I uh, start noticing that death is a part of our journey through life and should not be traveled alone. I think we as a society should value life as well as valuing helping those die well and with an equal quality as we value life. This is a painful journey, but one that can be easier and more healthy for the individual as well as friends and family. How can we do this as a society? Uh, Michelle. Uh, Amy Anderson, let me throw that question to you. Uh, how, how, how do we make the journey better, for, especially for our elderly? Well, I think we all need to recognize that, you know, dying is really not a medical condition. It is part of our life. And I think we all fear death. You know, kind of going back to culturally, everyone wants to look younger and seem younger and we don't embrace the things, the things that are part of that life spectrum. You know, both Pat and I, you know, work in hospice, and I think that the whole approach to that, that we're not here to prolong or to accelerate um, somebody's death, but we're here to en- enable them to live every moment, um, bringing in their family, bringing in volunteers, um, giving them the support and services that they need. You know, death is part of life, and and all of us fight that, and it's it's gonna it's gonna take a cultural change for people to understand and embrace the idea that um, we can we can live well and we can also die well. Pat Sadowski, what um, do you agree with that? Cultural change is needed. I totally agree with Amy. We're we're on the same page with a lot of this. Um, I think we need to address the fact that that it is a normal part of life and and we can't hold it back we can only make it better um one of the things i'd read recently that keeps repeating itself is the two things that seniors are most afraid of and it's not dying it's dying in pain and the other thing they're most afraid of is being a burden and being a burden becomes huge when you need care and I think people don't understand that that we can provide that, and they aren't burdensome. We we have so many resources to offer. I think uh, on, on that front, some of the resources that are available, you know, I, I, again, I did not know the couple that was involved, but I was I'm aware that his wife had um, a medical condition, and caregiver stress can really lead to depression. And I think it's important to know that. If you are caregiving for an older person, whether you're a child or whether you're a spouse, um, through the Bear River area on aging um, and Sunshine Terrace, we offer a caregiver support group twice a month. It meets the second and fourth uh, Tuesday of the month at 1 o'clock, and that's an opportunity for people to come. You know, caregiver stress um, can be huge. And, you know, there's ways people can identify whether or not they need some additional help um, you know, identifying if they were having, if they're feeling overwhelmed, if they're feeling lonely, if they're upset with the changes that their relative has been experiencing, all of those things, they can come and get that support. We also have wonderful support from the Alzheimer's Association nationally, as well as here in Utah. And there's a 24-hour phone number that people can call for information and support that's staffed by 
um, licensed clinical social workers so they can call and get their questions answered and get the support that they need as they're caring for a loved one. So there are resources there and available. Um, there is a cash coalition for caregivers um, that meets monthly, and we're going to be putting on a course for faith leaders in April for them to come and learn what are those signs and symptoms of caregiver stress and that, so that they know what resources avail are available. Many people, when they're struggling, turn to their faith leaders, and not all of them are, are trained or aware of what resources might exist, so the coalition is hoping to help fill that gap and educate them so that they, in turn, can help the caregivers. We are uh, running out of time, but I want to uh, fit uh, this uh, call in. Uh, we had a caller wish to remain nameless, uh, but uh, here is her point. She, she says she was born in 1947, and she's warning against using the term mental illness when addressing the elderly due to the stigma her generation has around the word. Uh, Pat mentioned that. Uh, she approves of uh, the term suicidal tendencies and depression, etc., but is concerned about the term mental illness. And she also wishes that we would uh, have had elderly people on the program uh, today. So that's a couple of good points. Um, and I think uh, Thad would not uh, would not object to being called elderly. Um, so so we have had Thad uh, through via via. But that's a good point. Uh, thanks thanks for that. And we've we have talked about the term and the stigma, uh, Pat, earlier in the program. I do want to get uh, Thad's uh, last uh, last piece on here. Let's hear from Thad Box. Young adults under twenty five years of age. Veterans and senior citizens are those most likely to commit suicide. Being young, trying to find one's place is a dangerous time for most animals, and humans are no exception. Helping kids become productive adults starts in the home, and we adults need to step forward as mentors and help them. The veteran suicide rate is approximately double the rate of non-veterans. Veterans, policemen, and people in other dangerous professions often suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD is not a disease that is cured with pills or gym exercises. It involves reteaching those wounded to live a civil life. That takes time and money and an effort from those of us lucky enough not to have been damaged by war. Old folks live longer today. Health care is better but old bodies wear out. Old minds play tricks. The World Health Organization reports that one in five people 55 years of age or older experiences a mental health issue which could lead to suicide. Happy old couples should not be forced into situations called murder-suicide. We all need a death with dignity. That's Thad Box. Our, our thanks to him for providing those uh, comments uh, for us. And uh, we're just uh, just out of time here. Uh, we've been talking with Amy Anderson with the Sunshine Terrace Foundation and with Pat Sadowski with uh, Cash Valley Senior Consulting. Uh, Pat Sadowski, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Amy Anderson, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. And we'll have resources. We've mentioned resources throughout the program. We'll have those on our website, upr.org. Uh, so thank you uh, to the both of you. Um, our, our prayers go out to the families of uh, Mary Pally and Del Johnson. Uh, they are fondly remembered in, in Cache Valley. And uh, we appreciate the discussion here uh, today. Thanks for listening to Access Utah Today. And now from the UPR newsroom, Utah State University's Civil Rights Pilgrimage 54 Strong were in Greensboro, Alabama, where they met a woman who marched with Martin Luther King Jr. USU professor Jason Gilmore was, was there to share her story. On a cold night in late March of 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. found himself in a not-so-unfamiliar situation, running from the Klan. Earlier in the evening, he had delivered a speech at a mass meeting in Greensboro, Alabama, and was on his way back to Selma when he received the news that cars filled with armed men were on the lookout for him. King quickly turned to an old ally, Mrs. Teresa Burroughs, for a safe house where he could weather the storm. With little thought, Mrs. Burroughs and her family obliged. Mrs. Burroughs, in fact, had been actively involved in the pursuit of civil rights since even before Rosa Parks ignited the modern civil rights movement. 
Once the civil rights movement was in full swing, she regularly offered her hair salon for local civil rights organizers and was an active participant in many historic civil rights marches throughout the South. When the call came from Selma in March of 1965, Burroughs dropped everything to be there. On March 7th, she joined 600 others in Selma on a march destined for Montgomery. They would get nowhere near. After crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge in downtown Selma, they were met by Alabama state troopers who attacked them with tear gas and billy clubs. But that day, now known as Bloody Sunday, did nothing but reinforce Burroughs' dedication to the cause. And so, almost two weeks later, Mrs. Burroughs was there again to march behind Dr. King all the way to Montgomery. And just last year, some 50 years later, at the foot of that same bridge, Mrs. Burroughs stood tall as the country's first black president, Barack Obama, presented her with a medal celebrating her courage and leadership in the civil rights movement. I'm one of the original foot soldiers that walked from Selma to Montgomery. Five days and four nights, we walked. And would you believe it rained every day? (laughs) I slept wet, walked wet, ate wet. I've never been so wet in all my life. (laughs) Those seven days was not pleasant, but they had to be done. It is suffice to say that Mrs. Burroughs is a living example of the power and leadership that women bring to civil rights movements, and our 54-strong group was lucky to meet her. Bellevue College students Ty Ellis, Gigi Huang, and Shreyas Rahman caught up with Mrs. Burroughs, now in her 90s, to get her take on the role that women play in civil rights. We always need to take this togetherness. I just love to say the spirit of this movement. If it had not been the spirit, nothing could have gotten you here. But you had the spirit within you. I want to do this. And you know what? You are going to keep on doing it, too. Jason Gilmore reporting from Greensboro, Alabama for Utah Public Radio. Support for the USU Civil Rights Pilgrimage 54 Strong is made possible in part by our members, the USU Access and Diversity Center, and the USU Diversity Council, cultivating diversity of thought and culture and serving the public through learning, discovery, and engagement. Hey, what's up? I'm Shad. Richard Linklater is the director of Boyhood, Before Sunset, and Days and Confused. Next time on Q, he'll discuss Everybody Wants Some, his new movie about college baseball players coming of age in the 1980s. That's coming up on Q from PRI, Public Radio International. Join us this afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. Thank you for listening to UPR today. Time now is 10 o'clock.